you. Didn't she do a great job? Yeah. Guys, we'll get something together. We're going to go hang out, eat meat, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But uh, good for the lead way. Well, okay. You guys ready? I'm ready. I was excited for this morning. It's good to see you all. Glad to be in the house of the Lord today. Um, get your Bibles open. Uh, we're going to cover a bit of ground this morning in the Word of God, and uh, which is always good, because I think more of the Word and, and less of me is always a good thing, at least I think so. Here's what I want you to do. First Samuel chapter 15. I want you to find that. We're going to get to that here in a few minutes, and that's kind of our, our, our ending passage, but it's a fairly substantial portion of Scripture that we're going to cover. We're also going to be in the book of John um, in, a, in a few different chapters. If you're a fast page turner, you can get there. Otherwise, you can just follow the, the passages up on the screen. Um, and uh, that'd be good. So we started a series last Sunday called The Kingdom Way. The Kingdom Way. We started talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Um, I, I was doing some study this week, and I, in the book of Matthew, was just overwhelmed by how many references there are to heaven, the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of God. In fact, it's, if, if, there's a, if there's one major theme for the book of Matthew, it's this theme, the kingdom of God. And Jesus talks over and over and over again about this kingdom, and he compares it. He has all of these different analogies for the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who lost a coin and then she went to find it. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a son who, the prodigal son who left and then came back. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed that is sown on these different soils. He uses all of these pictures and unpacks uh, this understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is. Read out of Matthew chapter 6 last week where Jesus says, he's telling us not to worry. Not to be concerned about the things of life. He says what we need to do, what we have to do, is seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then what does He say is going to happen? That all these things will be given to you as well. That the things that sometimes consume us that become the focal point of our lives. God's saying, I want to give you those things. But there is something you have to do. It's seeking His kingdom first. Putting Him first. In, in, in the... Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, He teaches us to pray. He says, your kingdom come, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we talked about what the kingdom of God would look like in our lives, in our church, and in our community. Were we to fully embrace the, the elements and the principles of God's kingdom and make them a part of who we are, how it would radically transform us, not just a bit, but a lot. And, and I think we would all agree this morning that we're in need of transformation. Anyone here say, you you're still got, you got some work that needs to be done in your life? And some of you are like wondering. It's not a trick question, actually. It's, it's actually in the Bible. It says that God will complete the work, which means we're not done. There's more. There's more that God wants to do in our lives. We talked about Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know God works all things together for the good of those who love Him. All things. We had a conversation about all things. That means all things. That every situation in our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, the valleys, the peaks, that in everything, God will use those situations and those things to transform us, to, to make us more like Jesus. In fact, Romans 8.29 says He's doing this why? So we can be conformed to the image of His Son. I mentioned that Romans 8.28 is one of those passages, if you've been around the church for a while, or, or maybe you know that, that, that person who's just always quoting Scripture, you're having a conversation and all they do is quote Scripture at you, and you go, hey, I'm, I'm having a rough week, some bad stuff's happened. Well, you know all things work together for the good. And you're just like, oh, come on! And so, but, but the truth is, that it's, it's real. Now, the timing of how we share that and the heart that we share it in is important. But the reality is that God does work all things for our good. Not because we somehow will it or twist His arm, because it's His pleasure and His delight, not just to bless us, but for us to be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so nothing is lost. 
There's no situation. It also means that none of us are too far gone that God can't bring us back or do a work in our lives. I believe it's one of, one of the great lies that the enemy is perpetuating in the world today is that people are too broken, too lost, have too much of a history, too much of a past that God can't really do anything with them anymore. I tell you what, if that's God, I'm done. I don't want to serve a God that's that weak and powerless. But the truth is, is that he is all-powerful and that he works all things together for our good so we are being transformed. We talked about the fact that transformation is not optional in the life of a believer. That transformation is not like a, an add-on to our, our, our walk with Jesus. It's not like, well, I'll take salvation but not transformation. It's a package deal. Both come with, with, with a relationship with Jesus. The fact is that God is committed to not letting you stay the way that you are. And that's where we ended last week. That God's commitment to you, His New Year's resolution to you, is to not let you stay the way you are. That He has a plan and a purpose for your life that is far bigger than what you even realize it is. And He wants to conform you to the image of His Son so that you can walk into that purpose and into that blessing, into that preferred future. That's what He has. So that's where we are this morning. That's a little nutshell from last week. If you missed it, that's what we talked about. That way, what we talk about this morning will make sense. You're not going to be going, oh, you're referencing stuff, I don't know. Hopefully we're all kind of on the same page now. So this morning we're going to have a conversation about kingdom authority. Kingdom authority. That part of God's kingdom, the kingdom way, is an understanding of kingdom authority. A few years ago, I got to go, uh, I was on a missions trip to Kenya, actually a kind of a scouting trip. I'd gone with another couple, and, uh, and I was blessed. Someone had actually paid for the entire trip uh, for me to and And on the way back, uh, they actually arranged for me to be able to stop in England uh, for a few days and visit my best friend who lives in the, in the U.K., and, uh, and so Quentin and I got a couple of days to hang out. And so one of the things we did, of course, we went into London, and we saw as many sights as we could in one day. And, and it was a long day. Um, and, and so we did, of course, Buckingham Palace and the changing of the guard. We went to the Tower Bridge and the Tower of London, Big Ben. You know, we went to, to uh, the cathedral. We went to uh, Parliament. We walked across the bridges. We saw the HMS Belfast. We did a lot. And most of it walking. It was pretty amazing. But you realize when you're in England that, um, of course, you're standing in front of Buckingham Palace. And the and, 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 and House of Windsor is currently the, the, the monarchy that is, is uh, enthroned there. We have the Queen of England. And we have, uh, you know, we, well, we all recognize the royals, right? Because we, we read about them in the news. And, you know, the princes, Harry and... The other guy, I forget his name, you guys are going to remind me. Um, we have all of these, the princes and the princesses, and one's pregnant, and one's doing this, and one's doing that. You realize pretty quickly, though, that, that what you're looking at is not, uh, it's not real. It's, it's not a monarchy as they existed before. Uh, that they really are just figureheads. Uh, that there's no real authority. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance. I uh, got to go to an old castle in the city of Winchester, and on the wall is ornate, beautiful wall, and they had all of the names of, of the knights that had, had served. And, you know, and this wall is older, like twice as old, three times as old as our country. You know, and you're standing in this old building, you realize at one point it actually meant something, but anymore... They're just figurehead. In fact, the monarchy now in England is, is probably more aligned with uh, doing social work or, or social justice work. They do a lot of uh, uh, you know, public, public uh, work and, and get out and help people out. But when it comes to rule and authority, there's really nothing there. Nothing there at all. And monarchy is something that we don't really understand well in the U.S. because we're a democracy. In fact, we, we pride ourselves on being a democracy, and we export our democracy to the world, and, 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 which is great. We love being a democracy. The problem is, is that we take our democratic way of thinking, and we bring it to our relationship with God. And what we have to realize is that 
we are not a part of a, de- a democracy. We are a part of a monarchy. That we have a king. His name is Jesus. And, and we recognize throughout history that monarchies were pretty messed up. Because you had imperfect people ruling with absolute authority. And it got kind of messy. Well, the flip side is true when you think of democracy in that it's the most voices win, right? It's, it's if you can get the most votes, you get your laws passed and your people in office. The problem is, is quite often the people are wrong. Am I right? Very often the people are wrong. I remember when Wikipedia had first come out, um, there was a term that I'd heard, the term was wikiality. Wikiality. Truth as defined by the masses. Because that's what Wikipedia is. If you can get the most people to say something is true or real, you can find it on Wikipedia. Can I tell you that the kingdom of God does not function that way? In fact, it's detrimental to our way of thinking and our way of living if we bring democracy into our relationship with Jesus. That it will stunt our growth. It will stop us from moving forward. Because really, at the end of the day, the democracy, a democratic way of thinking is, is if I rally enough people, or if I start thinking something is true, I can, I can motivate people in such a way that we can make this the law of the land. Now, you've been to Walmart or Target, and there's someone out there with a clipboard, right? Hey, sign this petition. Sign the same. Why? Because they have something they believe needs to move from being an idea or a concept into being law. When we come to our relationship with Jesus, we have to remember that we are part of a monarchy. The kingdom of God is a monarchy. And the good thing, the awesome thing, is we have a good king, a loving king, a wise king, an eternal king. We, we sang about him this morning that Jesus, the champion of heaven, has opened the way for every one of us to walk into and embrace a relationship with Him. And so we're not serving a king who's messed up. We're not serving a king who has wrong thinking. We have a king who sees all, who knows all, and has our very best at heart. But I think sometimes we forget because democracy takes its place in our life and it weaves its way in. And we start missing out on what God has for us because we think God has to fit His kingdom to our lives rather than us coming under the authority of His kingdom. This is, um, as I prepared this morning, in fact, just praying throughout this week, um, this is a huge subject. In, in the scheme and in the scope of, of theology, the church, that this is a heavy and deep subject. And so uh, part of why I want to use a lot of Scripture this morning is I don't want it to sound like my ideas. I want this to come across clearly being God's ideas um, because of the weightiness of this. But I believe with all of my being that if we grasp a hold of these truths, that it will set us on a course of transformation like never before. I invited you last week, and I said, I invite you to join me on this journey over this next year, journey of transformation, that we would become more like Jesus. And so this morning, this conversation regarding the authority of the kingdom of God is really central to that first taking that first step on the journey. Because if we don't lay a hold of this truth, we'll miss the next steps. We'll miss the next points. We'll, we'll not hear the voice of God directing us in the way that we're supposed to go. And we miss being transformed into the image of God. What's amazing about our king is that we have full access. Any king, if you watch movies or read books, you knew that the king had people that were close to him, and then there were the people that were distant. Usually the nobles were the ones close, and the peasants were the ones that just got to see the king from a distance. That in the kingdom of heaven that we have, all have equal access to the King. And what determines our closeness is not, uh, is not how much He will allow us to come close. It's how much we decide to press in. The, the, the book of Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. That we can come boldly before our heavenly King 
and our Heavenly Father that He has given us closeness and accessibility to who He is. In fact, He would prefer to have us close because when we're close, we'll know His heart. We'll know who He is. We'll have an understanding of what makes Him tick, the things that He loves and the things that He hates. We even sing a song where we say, Lord, break my heart with what breaks yours. That, that when we draw close to God and we, we know His heartbeat, that we can live that way, understanding the things that He has, the things that touch His heart. That when we're close to Him, we can understand His ways, which is important because His ways are not our ways. And if I lean on my own understanding, as the Bible says, I'm going to get distracted, I'm going to get off track. But we have to remember that His ways are not our ways, that His thoughts are not our thoughts, but we need to know what His ways and His thoughts are. And so He invites us close so we can know His ways. We need to be close so we can hear His voice. We need to know His voice. You know, Jesus relied on hearing the voice of the Father. That Jesus brought Himself under the authority of the kingdom of heaven and under His Father. He did not presume in, when He was here in flesh on this earth to just have all the answers. That He modeled for us what it means to come to the Father, to hear His voice, to find that direction from the Father Himself. He would prefer for us to live under authority. He prefer for us to be there. We have to understand that kingdom, the idea of kingdom and authority go in hand. In order to embrace the kingdom of God, we have to have an understanding and a correct understanding of what authority is. About 30, 30 plus years ago in our country that it became very popular to resist and reject authority question authority. Don't just take it at face value. Which, which by and large, it's, it's not, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? There were things that were being done in our country and we just don't take it at face value. But again, we take those ways of thinking in the world and we bring it to our relationship with God and now we somehow feel that we have the freedom to question God and question His authority. And so authority is a concept and an idea in our, in our world, that has become warped and twisted. And in fact, for many people, if you speak about authority and absolute authority, their, their, their posturing is not one of embracing, it's of rejecting. Because I become an authority unto myself. No one gets to tell me what to do. That is the hardest way to live the Christian life. It is the hardest way to live the Christian life if we bring that through our relationship with God. So there are four aspects of authority that I want to touch on this morning. Uh, the points will be up on the screen. We'll have the passages up on the screen as well. So the first one is this. Real authority requires only the word. Real authority requires only a, wor a word. That when a king would, would make a proclamation or call people to action... He didn't have to, to have a dialogue or an argument or convince them to move. All he had to say was the word, and then people would move. They would do what was called of them. Jesus has an incredible encounter in Matthew chapter 8 with a Roman centurion who understands this authority. Romans, I mean, Matthew, rather. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 through 13 says this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Okay, I've got to stop for a second. We've got to realize that we're, we're, we're in Israel, but the ruling authority is the Roman kingdom. They had conquered that part of the world. And so the centurion was a man of authority. And the idea that he is coming to a Jewish man to ask for help in and of itself is pretty crazy. Because Jesus was under his authority the civil authority that existed in that place. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And this is the response. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. 
with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as, just as you believed it would. And his servant at that moment, was healed at that moment. Lord, I need you to move on my behalf. Well, I'll, I'll come. No, 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 no. You... I'm not worthy to have this Roman centurion recognize that there was something about Jesus that he didn't even want this man in his roof because he did not feel worthy. And then he makes that statement. I myself am, am, am someone who is under authority and I, and, I, and I have authority and I say to these, go and come and they do it. And I love Jesus' response that he looks at those around him and he says, I have not found anyone in Israel with this kind of faith. We've got to stop for a second and understand what kind of a statement that is as Jesus speaks those words. That he is saying of the occupying force of a Roman centurion, the enemy, I have not found such great faith. Why? Because he understood authority. That there were crowds following Jesus and he's declaring to them that this man has greater faith than you. Why? Because he has authority. He understood authority. I would argue, I, pre, I, would, I would present to you that for us to understand authority becomes a key in our relationship with God. It becomes a key when it comes to walking by faith. Because we see in this situation, in this man, that Jesus recognizes it. That he sees it in this man's life. Jesus is important. We have to understand that at the one word, that, that God would speak a word that we're ready to move, that we don't argue, that we don't go, well, Lord, but. That when we recognize that we're the, under the authority of the Most High, that all it requires of Him is to say a word and that we need to be ready to move. And so often it's not the case in my life and in yours. That, that when God would speak, that we start wondering, well, is this, did I really hear from the Lord? Is this the Lord? And, and, and quite honestly, when we question whether or not we're hearing the voice of the Lord, it has to do with our closeness, our proximity to where He is. As we press in and we start hearing the voice of God, all He has to do is speak the word and we're able to move decisively. Say, I know that God is calling me in this direction. It's amazing when you encounter someone who moves that way. Isn't it? Enc it's encouraging. You see that in someone's life, and you're like, I want more of that. Well, we can have it. We can move that way. We can move with that kind of decisiveness when God speaks the word. Real authority requires only a word. Second is this real authority comes through alignment. Real authority comes through alignment. You will hear the word alignment a lot from me. I love this word. Um, I'm a car guy. In fact, my tires right now, my car wearing a little weird, and so I had to kind of figure out what's wrong with the alignment on my car because it affects tire wear, it affects handling, it affects my gas mileage. I drive a huge excursion. Gas mileage is important to me. And I want to make sure. So alignment, get into a shop, get it fixed, get it on the Make sure that the alignment is there. Why? So that it can run the way that's supposed to. So that it can track in a straight line. So that it doesn't start pulling against itself. In a car, essentially, that's what happens. Some of you, you're like, I just checked out. You're talking about car stuff. Some of you are like, cool. Um, but when the tires are not aligned correctly, essentially what happens is the car starts fighting against itself. It starts pulling against itself. If you've ever been in a car where you constantly have, or like the steering wheel is not straight, you're having to hold it like this and you can feel the car just wants to like go to the side of the road. It's because there's no alignment and the car is fighting against itself. 
that in our walk with the Lord and understanding kingdom authority, that we have to align ourselves with God. We have to align ourselves with His Word. We have to align ourselves with His Holy Spirit. Why? Because if we're not aligned, we're going to be feeling the tension of pulling against the things that God has for us. And it's not a fun place to be. It requires more effort and energy, and it wears us out. And so alignment becomes an essential part of our walk with the Lord. Jesus, His authority came from an alignment with the Father. He was close to the Father. He heard His voice. He knew His will. He walked in His ways. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before He's led to the cross to be crucified, He's crying out in agony, sweating blood. Why? Because He he doesn't want to die. The man, Jesus, in flesh, does not want to go to the cross and endure the agony. But what does He pray? What does He say? Lord, not my will, Your will be done. What was he doing? He was aligning himself to the will of the Father. He was aligning himself with God's plan. And I'm thankful he did because we're here today because of that. Alignment was important to Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. The Son does nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. Jesus aligned Himself with the Father daily. That He had to get Himself in a place where he knew God's voice, that he heard, uh, heard the instruction, that he knew that this was the will of God, and that he was not competing or, or pulling against the things that God had for him. Alignment is essential. In another place, John chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own what? authority. I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I will always do things that are pleasing to him. I tell you what, this verse stands in contrast to the world that we live in. Because we become enamored and and so, so wrapped up in doing things that please ourselves. It's about me, and it's about me feeling good. And forget about what God wants as long as I'm happy, and as long as I'm living the American dream. Everything's great. Only to discover that those things are empty. Jesus says, I want to do the things that please the Father. I want to make sure that my life is aligned with Him. I don't do anything out of my own authority. But I surrender myself, I submit myself to the the authority of the kingdom of heaven so that there's something greater working in me and through me that's transforming not only me, but the world around me. That we have to be aligned. John chapter 16, verse 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You see here in the Trinity, you have God the Father the, 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 the one who sits enthroned. You have Jesus Christ, the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. And they are subject to the authority of the Father. And there is part of the Trinity that we just can't wrap our minds around. But very clearly here we understand that there is a flow of authority from the Godhead through the Father to the, the, the Spirit and into our lives. That there is an order And it's important for us to recognize that because if Jesus is saying that He will give us the Spirit of truth and that He will guide us, we better be listening to what He says. We just must. 
And when we fight against it and we don't, and we dig our heels in and say no, things don't go so well. If you've ever spent a day with a two-year-old, am I right? I don't even have to say anything else. You get it. And what's incredible is that a two-year-old doesn't have to be taught to be disobedient. They just know. They just know. It's just in us when we're born. The, the disobedience and rebellion is just in us. And the things of this world push against our relationship with God. I mean, do you ever feel the tension in your life? Do you ever feel the tension between the things of the world and the things that the flesh wants? And the tension of, of serving Jesus? I hope you do. Because there is a tension and we need to be aware of the tension. You work with a two-year-old. You know today we're done and the two-year-old's in bed and asleep and tomorrow we're going to wake up and do it all again. If you're not being encouraged, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know there's the rare case that you have a two-year-old or a three-year-old that just is perfect, and I know your children aren't like this at all. But man, it is, it is some of the hardest years of parenting because you are, you are aligning the will of a child to yours. And if they don't, it doesn't go well for anybody. Right? Because if mommy's not happy, nobody's happy. Aligning the will of a child. Here's what's amazing is that God gives us everything that we need to be able to make a decision to come into alignment with Him. But it's our choice to make that He will not force us into that place. That He won't force us like a two-year-old. Now that He'll allow us, remember Romans 8, all things work together for good. Those all things quite often are our own doing. Those things that we struggle and if we battle against how often in the nation of Israel, they, they, as they were, they were going through the desert, and in fact, 40 years in the desert and didn't walk into the promised land. Why? Because I'm going to dig my heels in and do what I want to do. And God said, fine. Then I will let you stay in the desert until that rebellion is worked out of you. That God is committed to us not staying the way we are because it's not good for us and it's not good for the kingdom. That He is transforming and conforming us to the image of his son. Number three, real authority comes from authorship. Authority comes from authorship. Who is the author of your story right now? We talked about this in our last series. Your story isn't your story. Whose story is it? It's God's story. <laughs> it is God's story. He is the one who is authoring your life, the story of who you are and the things that He has. Before the foundations of the earth, He knew the plans that He had. Before you were knit together in your mother's womb. That authority comes from authorship. The only reason we have any authority is because it has been given to us. That you cannot manufacture authority. Just try it. Hopefully no one gets pulled over. But let's say you happen to be, a, hypothetically, someone gets pulled over. Right? You happen to be texting and you get pulled over. Try, in that moment when the police officer is standing at your door, try and pull the, I'm a, I'm a greater authority than you card. You can't tell me what to do. What's going to happen? It's just not going to go well. At the least, bigger ticket. At the most, you're wearing bracelets. Um, <laughs> Why? Because authority is not just something that you can take a hold of by yourself and say, I am an authority. We have in our world, it's funny, we use that term. Well, this person is an authority on this. Well, they might know a lot, but I think, I think a lot of times it's misguided, right? Because then you have an authority who's proved wrong. and now, No, you're not an authority. That authority is given. The authority is bestowed. Going back to the monarchy, the king would bring the knight with the sword, right? And do the whole shoulder, shoulder, tap the head thing. And, you know, I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you authority to stand in my place of authority in this kingdom. And so when, when the knight came riding by, it was just as good as if the king was there. Why? Because there was a recognition that authority had been given. 
that authority comes from authorship, that God has established authority. So let me ask you this question. Who's calling the shots in your life right now? Is it you? I do what seems right to me. I make my own decisions. I have my own way of, you know, my yes and no, pro, con matrix of making decisions. And so I just do what seems right to me. Is it your body? I do what feels right. Right? And that's, that's kind of the mantra of the world right now. I do what feels right. Whatever I want to do, what if it feels good, it must be good. I just do whatever feels right. Is it your relationships or other people in your life dictating how you live your life? Or other people saying, hey, you should do this, you should do that, or you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. And you listen to them and make your decisions based on what other people. Who is calling shots in your life? When it's all stripped away, the only thing that matters is we hear the voice of God and obey Him only. That means that your closest friend, your family, your spouse, your children cannot come in a place of authority over God in your life. That they cannot be in competition. That I serve God first and only. And the way that I'm a blessing to my family and a blessing to my friend is aligning myself with the authority that comes from the Father. And recognizing that I can only receive it because He has given it. Philippians 1, 3-6 I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, until the day of Christ Jesus. That he who began a good work in you. Paul doesn't say that when you started that good journey, when you made, and we do that, you made a decision for, for Christ. Well, there was, a, there was a point where you received him, but really the decision was when he laid a hold of your life. Not you for him. And that he has been pursuing you, that he has been looking for you, that he is still right there saying, I have something amazing for you. That it's what we receive, that he began a good work. And because he began it, he will finish it. And I tell you, there's some relief in that. That's why we talk about Jericho and the, and the children of Israel. The walls coming down, they didn't have to do anything. Why? Because God gets the glory. But when I start doing things for myself, all of a sudden, I'm the authority. And I get the glory. And God goes, no, that's, that's, that's not a part of my kingdom. That's not the way that works. Real authority comes from authorship. And then finally, real, or rather living under authority, requires obedience. Living under authority requires obedience. The O word. Obedience. Like I said before, you wonder about obedience, hang out with, with a baby or a two-year-old. There's tons of videos, right? Americans, America's Funniest Videos are filled with videos of, of, of toddlers like throwing fits. Jimmy, I think Jimmy Kimmel does a whole thing like giving, like tell your kids that you eat their candy or giving them bad Christmas presents. And you watch kids just go ballistic. They just go, they just go, no, it's not a good thing to do. That's kind of mean. I'm not, I'm not saying you should do that. But, but we see that, that obedience is a struggle for us. And some of us, we hide the two-year-old well, but the two-year-old's still there. Ugh. Right? Are you feeling it? That disobedience is just ingrained, it's wired in us, and we have to fight to get it out. That the sin nature that we're born into is contrary to the things of the kingdom of God. And God says, you've got to work those things out, you've got to get them out, because they don't have any place and they can't have any part. That there is no room in the kingdom of God for us to say, well, I want it my way, and I want it now, and I'll do anything to get it. 
that in essence you are rejecting the authority of God and saying, I am my own authority. And I choose to not live in obedience. I will do my own thing. Obedience and rebellion. Obedience and rebellion. Obedience brings us under kingdom and godly authority. It just does. When we walk in obedience, we come under the authority. And I'm not just talking about heaven and, 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 and church. and these kind, I'm talking about even civil authority says that all authority comes from him and that everyone who is in authority is there because he's placed them there. So think city government, state government, federal government, that God says that you don't get to choose just to say, I'm going to be in rebellion against these things because God says you have to bring yourself under authority. And one of the drawbacks of democracy is that we rail against our leadership and we don't pray for them. And I'm not saying you have to agree, but you cannot walk in rebellion because it's so seized in your life that will allow rebellion to pop up in other places. And God says authority is authority and you don't get to be an authority to yourself. Bring yourself, submit yourself in obedience under authority. Obedience brings us under kingdom authority. Rebellion brings us under demonic authority. Rebellion brings us under demonic authority because there there are only two. God's way and the demonic way, the ways of this world, the ways that that Satan has established. In fact, it's amazing when you read when Jesus is tempted in the desert. And Satan says to Jesus, I have the authority to give you all of this. And he did. But what is more important is that authority of God supersedes, comes above the authority of Satan. Because whatever he authority, authority he had was given to him by God. That Satan is subject and under the authority of God. Think about Job. When, when Satan comes to Job and says, hey, let me test your servant Job. And God says, no, you can't. And he says, well, you know, you know then it's because you bless him so much that he loves you. And so God gives Satan authority. He gives him permission to, to mess with Job. Because he knows that Job will stand. But any authority that, that Satan has is given by the Lord. It comes from, from the Godhead. So even for him. But we have to remember that we're, when we walk in rebellion, we're submitting ourselves not to kingdom authority, but to demonic authority. And you're, you might be thinking, well, maybe in certain parts of my life, but no. If I'm walking in disobedience to the things that God's calling me to, and I recognize that God is sovereign over every part of my life, that He isn't a part of my life, He is my life. That when I say to God, You can have this, this, and this, but this I keep myself to myself, this doesn't belong to you, that I am submitting myself to demonic authority. We don't like to think about it that way because it's not very nice. It's not very comfortable. It kind of presses on us a little bit, but it's good because it needs to. Because it's not where God wants us to be. 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Powerful, powerful picture of this being played out in the life of a man named Saul. I'm going to read... About 19 verses, it's a good portion of Scripture. The words will be up on the screen, but I want us to capture the fullness of what's happening here. Starting in verse, verse number 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instruction. Rebellion. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all, night, all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and met with Saul, uh, went to meet with Saul, who was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Stop for a second. He had set up a monument in his own honor. He had no authority to do that. Zero, none, zip. He had set up a monument in his own honor. 
When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, when the, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. The, the instruction of God had been to Saul, Go wipe them out. Everything. Every, do not leave anything alive. Completely wipe them out. But Paul, I mean Saul, sorry, Saul does what's right in his own eyes. I love Samuel's response in verse 16. Stop! Have you ever had that moment with someone and they're, they're, they're lying to your face and you're just like, just stop! Stop! I know that you're, just stop! Stop talking, because the more you talk, the digger, the, the deeper the hole is getting, right? Just stop. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Listen to this. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. You can almost kind of hear him kind of whiny, right? But I did obey. I went on the mission the Lord had me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. And brought back King, A King Agag, their king. Okay, you ever, like you're saying, you ever been in a moment where you're saying something and you're realizing you're contradicting yourself and you're like, oh shoot. Like, like Saul doesn't even see it. I completely destroyed them. Oh, and I brought back their king. Well, that's not complete. We have a different definition of what that word means. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people. There's that point where other people are telling you what to do. And so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught the uh, hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and, and has given it to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Wow. Wow, I require and I desire obedience more than sacrifice. Saul here, that he is serving God. He thinks that he is doing the right thing. When you walk in rebellion, you bring yourself under demonic authority. And what I know of Scripture and what you know of Scripture is this, that Satan is a liar and he is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. Saul is so deceived because of the authority that he's under that he thinks he's doing the right thing. He really believes it. Samuel says, no, you have rejected the word of God, the word of truth. You have heard the word of God plainly and you have chosen to walk other way. Therefore, everything that was promised to you has been removed. Ouch. God is not mocked. He does not, he, he will not change his mind. He is absolute. His authority is absolute. And that we cannot, 
We cannot think that we can live our lives the way that we want to and do whatever we want to and ignore the voice of God and think that it will go well. And this is not prosperity preaching or if you just serve God, you'll be blessed. You will be blessed, but it's, that's a side thing. God wants you to walk in obedience under His authority because it's what He has for you. It's because just like, like, like Saul, God is saying to us, I have called you to a mission. We have a job to do. That is the church. We don't exist to gather and hang out and have a good time. We get to do that as part of our expression as we live in community. But that's not what we're about. We are a church on mission. And when we start, start being distracted from the things that God has for us and the authority that we're under, the mission suffers. The church suffers. We suffer. And that God will, He wants to, listen to me, God wants to use your life. He wants to move in your life. It's His great desire to move in your life. But if you reject Him and reject Him and reject Him, He'll find someone else to do the thing He's calling you to do. Because at the end of the day, the mission matters. What we've been called to is the church. It doesn't mean He will give up on you. He'll keep pursuing you. But He's also not just going to say, hey, just let's just hang out. That's fine. I'm just going to wait till you come back around. God had another king lined up, a man after His own heart, because He knew that Saul had walked away, had rejected the authority Samuel tries to justify his behavior. But I did. I did serve God. I did do this thing. I did completely wipe them out. See, here's their king. And there's the sheep. But I did. I did. No, you were deceived. He blames others for his behavior. See, because that's what it degrades to. I can't take personal responsibility anymore. Now I start blaming other people. God, it's this husband you've given me. God, it's this wife you've given me. God, it's these kids that you've given me. God, it's my church. God, it's my pastor. God, it's my neighbor. God, it's my dog's, my neighbor's dog that won't stop barking. Right? I mean, it just goes, it, we dig ourselves into a hole. And the last thing we do, the thing we, we don't go to is, God, I need to take responsibility for myself before you. And say, God, you do a work in me. Convict me, cleanse me, make me righteous. Matthew 7.21, probably one of the most sobering passages in all of Scripture. And quite frankly, it scares the pants off of me. This verse, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That, that frightens me in a good way. It's a great motivator because we can't just assume that, well, I did this in the name of the Lord and I did that in the name of the Lord. I mean, these things that he's about these are part of our expression in the church today we prophesy and we drive out demons and there's miracles it's not enough it's not enough because if God's not asking us to do it if we're doing good things in the name of the Lord and it's not what he asks us to do we're walking in disobedience which goes back to how do we stop from being there you've got to be close to the king You've got to get close to the king and hear his voice and know his will and understand his heart. So when things pop up in your life that seem good, you don't just with your own mind and your own understanding going, well, that's, that seems like a good idea. God, what do you think? No, stay away. What seems good? No, stay away. I'm sorry. I've got to stay away. Well, people won't like me. I would rather be embraced by the King of Heaven than liked by sinful people. And, and I don't say that in a way that like, I've got that figured out. It's a struggle. It's nice to be liked. But at the end of the day, that what, what matters more is that I live under authority and do the things that God has called me to. 
Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Obedience will cause kingdom authority to flow in and through our lives. It just will. It's not a magic formula. It's just truth. Walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. Know the word. David said, I've hid your word in my heart so, hearts that I might not sin against you. Why? I don't want to walk in disobedience, God. Lord, I want to be close to you. I want to know your voice. I want to hear your voice. I want to know your will. I want, I want to be aligned with you so that when the things in my life start pulling and tugging against what's true and what's real, God, that I'll recognize it and bring it back to where it needs to be. Why? Because he began a good work in you. is faithful. Choose to be close to the king. Rebellion will keep you from God. Who's calling the shots in your life? Who's calling the shots? As we move down a road of transformation, and it's not just this year, it's for the rest of our lives or until Jesus comes back, that I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. I want to be closer to the King tomorrow than I am today. And the day after that, and the day after that, we're, we're not done, we're not going to be done, we've got to pursue but we have to start by simply asking the question, who's calling the, the shots? Who is the authority? Are you under kingdom authority or under demonic authority? Are you surrendering your life to God or doing what's right in your own eyes? Let's stand together this morning. I imagine probably a little now like I did when, uh, when I was preparing for this message. It was a little bit like a spanking. Um, <laughs> As a pastor, it's, it's, it's fun and it's easy to give easy words. But it's not always what God's calling us to. Sometimes we have to take a real look at who and what's going on in our lives so that he can do what he needs to do. I imagine that for many of us this morning, there's a conversation that we need to have with the King of Heaven. For many of us, there's probably some repentance that needs to be, take place and some realignment that needs to happen. That moment of Jesus in the garden saying, My will, your will be done. For us to cry out with that same heart, the same heart that Jesus had to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Get me out of the picture so I can be conformed to the image of Jesus. So, Father, this morning, would you do that work? Lord, I'm thankful for Paul's word in Philippians that you are faithful to complete the work. You started it. It's yours to finish. And Lord, we just simply have to bring ourselves into alignment and under your authority. So Lord, help us to be there. Help us to stay there. Lord, help us to have the discernment and the closeness of a relationship with the King so that when we step out of line, we just know, Lord, that we bring our lives, our relationships, our finances, our ministries, our work, our recreation, that we bring it under kingdom authority so that the enemy has no place to mess and meddle and lie. God, I pray for this church this morning if there are any who are being deceived. In the same way that Saul was deceived, Lord, if there are any who are being deceived and don't even know it, God, would you cause the blinders to fall from their eyes today? Lord, would they see you clearly? And Lord, would you give them what they need to be able to walk and come back into alignment with you. God, I pray for the church that you would call, cause kingdom authority to flow in the place in such a way that Glendora would never be the same again. Lord, we are a church on mission. We are a church that has been called to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that nothing, nothing, nothing 
which stand in the way of that taking place. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have any prayer needs this morning, if you'd like someone to agree with you in prayer, our prayer team is going to come forward right now. They would love to pray with you for whatever reason. Anything that you need prayer for, we'd love to agree with you. Otherwise, I encourage you, invite someone to lunch today. Uh, go and enjoy a meal. It's a beautiful, sunny winter day in California. Right? Go and enjoy it outside. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.